Hello and welcome to the National Ninja League Podcast. I'm Alex Cunningham. In a moment, I'll be joined by NNL President Chris Wolcheski and this week's guest, Alyssa Beard. So one of the things that people often ask is, how do I get started in Ninja? Or how do I find time for Ninja? Alyssa is an elementary school teacher. She's often at school for 12 hours or more a day. And yet she still makes time to go to the gym and to train and to become an elite ninja. So we talked a lot with her about finding time to train, finding that work-life training balance. So I think this is really a must-listen interview for anyone who wants to dive into the sport of ninja. And it couldn't come at a better time because in just a couple of weeks we're going to be announcing our Rec Ninja League events. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy the interview. Here's Alyssa. All right, we are pleased to be joined by our 2017 world champion, Alyssa Beard. Alyssa, thank you for joining the podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. So I guess so, I'll start. Um, I, I mentioned it in the intro. You were our 2017 world champion. You were in second place the year before, so you've been on two podiums. Very few people can say that. Uh, what was it like essentially being the champion of Ninja for a year? um oh that's a good question I guess I came in as a complete unknown I didn't know anything about the sport when I first started or anything about ninja really um so it was interesting you know the first season I was just kind of feeling things out and did better than I expected and then the next season I was like oh okay um it wasn't my my best (laughs) season at the finals um but, you know, good enough to uh, to snag first, so I guess I can't be too upset about it. <laughs> <laughs> what type of preparation went in from when you came in as, like, a, an unknown to, you know, being able to podium, you know, your first season? Um, actually, it varied a little bit. When I first started, I was mostly training for Spartans and doing a lot of, like, VO2 max and um, a lot more running and cardio-type stuff. Uh, and then... As I started focusing more on ninja, it turned more towards uh, obstacle stuff. And now it's kind of an in-between point where I'll do uh, like whole body workout as well as a mix of some obstacle things. How many comps do you think you did uh, your first season? Because I, I remember the uh, the first season that you you know jumped into the NNL um, – you quickly became one of the top ninjas um, in the league, uh, which is saying something. Um, wow, that seems like such a long time ago now. Uh, I did every comp that was within like a four-hour drive of where I lived. So I would say, I mean, season one, it was so much smaller than it is now, but maybe – seven or eight comps season one it was it was that sounds a bit... about right yeah and do you feel like you would have done as well at um the world championship had you not done as many comps um yeah i don't um no <laughs> i think having the experience behind me was definitely helpful um having it been so new, like my first comp that I went to was um, actually Drew's around Thanksgiving. And I only went because um, Dave and Jenny from TA were going and convinced me to go. And I was terrified. I didn't know anybody. Um, 
that's actually Chris when I first heard your name and I didn't know who you were. I didn't know who Drew was. I knew nobody. So I think going from like complete blind entry into the sport from my first comp, um, it was it was necessary to have a good amount under my belt going into the the finals that year. <laughs> So earlier, we actually had the uh, pleasure of speaking with Ethan, uh, Ethan Swanson. And Ethan, I feel like, is one of those guys who is uh, unbelievably efficient. Like, he's on and off of obstacles so fast. And one of the things that he was really preaching was repetition, like doing obstacles, trying them in a bajillion different ways. And we've also had other athletes that focus more on the, you know, building strength, getting stronger aspect of it. Do you see yourself as more of a obstacle efficiency athlete or more of a strength-based athlete? I actually, I went back and watched my run from the finals from season one. And I realized that I, I looked like I attacked the obstacles a little bit more in the earlier seasons than I do now. I think I take a more calculated approach right now. So I would say it's, it's fluctuated over the last couple of years. Um, I used to do a lot more obstacle work. And I think that that, that showed in terms of the risks I was willing to take on courses and I'm not getting on obstacles as much anymore. So I think my ability or maybe my approach in, in taking risks is not as risky <laughs> as it used to be. Um, but I think I feel more confident in being able to get through obstacles that I might not have felt like I had the strength or the um, ability to, to kind of feel out in the first couple seasons, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I think it sounds like you're uh, a little more balanced. Like you have a little bit of both depending on what you've been training. I think so. I, I mean, I definitely still see weaknesses in many different aspects of my training, but yeah, I think there's, it's, it's kind of plateaued into a balancing act of, of the two approaches to training. Cool. That's uh, it makes a lot of sense. Cause I was trying to think about this question going into it. And I feel like when I look at Ethan, like I know instantaneously what his strengths and weaknesses are, but with you, I, I couldn't really quite pinpoint it. Um, and that makes a lot of sense that it's a nice balance between the two. Um, which actually leads me to my next question. I was curious, what's your athletic background? Like what, what helped you develop these skills? Um, so I started gymnastics at age three and grew up in a gym. I didn't know anything else. <laughs> uh, and then in middle school, I started cross country running and continued that through high school as well as taking on pole vaulting in high school as well. So I think I have a nice, rounded athletic background in terms of, um, you know, spatial awareness, some power, upper body strength, um, endurance and cardio. Um, there's, I think, a, a pretty good amount of, <laughs> of athletic background that has done me well for Ninja. Um, yeah. <laughs> So a uh, real quick tangent, the reason I hadn't asked a question in a bit, I went back and looked up your season one stats. Mm -hmm. So your first competition was at Movement Lab in New Jersey. Uh, you got all the way to the warped wall, which is the eighth obstacle. 
Uh, your best comp of the season was at Pinnacle Parkour. You got to the ninth obstacle, which has the name Wobbling Balance to Spinning Log of Doom. Thanks, Jamie. And then you were also at New York Ninja and TA Fitness. And then, obviously, getting to Domino Hill in the finals. Okay. Just I know I did start at, at New Era, too. Maybe they spelled your name differently. I don't know. But, but yeah, okay. I, I tried to do it quick. Um <laughs> Moving back into your gymnastics background, we interviewed Jeff Britton back in our first wave of podcasts, mm-hmm. and I had asked him, you know, about rock climbers being sort of the top athletes of the sport, and he disagreed with me. He said that gym that gymnasts are starting to take over being the top athletes of the sport. Do you feel that gymnastics and your gymnastics background gives you an edge on some of these newer obstacles? I would say yes. Um, I mean, I had the I had the same ideas that rock climbing was definitely something that would make you a strong ninja, and I think it, it does. So that's interesting um, that Jeff kind of disagreed there. Uh, but thinking about it, I mean, you know, Najee, Joe Morovsky, um, Barclay, myself, you know, all have gymnastics backgrounds. So I guess that is kind of saying something about how the transfer of skills and um, strength works pretty well. So a lot of times with Ninja, there's a ton of talk about, you know, what was the athletic background? What what did you do before Ninja that kind of helped build the skills for Ninja? And right now with the, the National Ninja League, we have all these youth that are competing all over the world and their main sport is ninja and they don't they don't have the gymnastics background or the climbing background and how do you think you know growing up as a competitive gymnast and then transferring over the skills how do you think the kids today are going to fare um as they grow older and grow into the more competitive ninja scene those that only have ninja as a background are they at an advantage or are they at a disadvantage i don't think i have ever thought about it in that way that's a very interesting question um i think looking at some of the kids coming up right now like there's <laughs> those of us that are feeling pretty good about where we are in the sport now um should be you know doing a double take at some of these kids that are going to be eligible you know to compete on the show in a couple of years um we even saw you know like some of the 19 year olds coming in this year that just absolutely crushed it and have been training for, you know, seven, eight years just in Ninja. So I think there's definitely something to be said for growing up with, with Ninja as your sport. Um, but I also know a lot of kids that are currently training are also interested in other sports and, and also participate in other sports too. Um, at least ninjas that I've spoken to. (laughs) Um, so I think it still is important to have a diverse background in your athletics. Um, but I think I would probably say at the moment that they're at an advantage. <laughs> um, that's a really hard question, though. I think as long as they are, I mean, it comes down to a lot of different elements. You know, if, if they're at a gym where the coaches are focusing not just on obstacles, but also on strength and conditioning and recovery and, you know, all those important factors as well. Or if they're just self-taught ninjas in their backyard or playgrounds. I mean, I think there's still quite a variance 
in that category. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I, I think that it's going to be interesting to watch everything unfold because you are right. There is a huge difference between um, somebody that's, you know, has like a regimented training program where they're like doing all the rest recovery and building strength and, you know, learning obstacles versus somebody that's just kind of playing around. Um, you're going to see definitely, you know, completely different results. Yeah, absolutely. So going back to your, your gymnastics background, um, how do you think that competitive gymnastics scene compares to the competitive ninja scene that you see today with the youth? Do you think it's similar? Do you think it's different? You know, why? I think in terms of getting on a course or obstacles um, compared to getting on an event in gymnastics, there's definitely a lot of similarities. Um, in ninja, you only have one ninja competing at a time. So, you know, the spotlight is on you during your time on the course, just like it, it was for gymnastics. So I think it's similar in that there's that same amount of pressure. Um, I know I personally feel far more nervous at NNL comps than I do when I'm on the show. <laughs> um, and I don't know how that would even feel if I hadn't had the experience growing up as a gymnast and having, you know, your spotlight on each, each event. Um, but I think that there's, there's definitely some similarities. And I think that a lot of kids today who are training and competing ninja will be able to take from it some things that I took from gymnastics as well. So I think there's similarities. Yeah. If Ninja were in this capacity when you were a kid, do you think that you would still do gymnastics or would you do Ninja or both? Um, I mean, I, I have to say because gymnastics is, you know, runs in my blood and is such a huge part of who I am. I don't see a life where I ever could not have done gymnastics. Um, but I think that there is a lot of overlap that I would have found pretty intriguing as a kid. Um, you know, we would play it, you know, at gymnastics, we'd come up with games like the floor is lava and we'd set up obstacle courses for ourselves around the gym. So I think there's a very natural progression towards that. And I, I think time allotting, I'm, I might have been able to do a little bit of both. Um, but I think my focus probably still would have stayed with gymnastics. But, yeah, you never know. <laughs> Why do you think uh, your focus would have stayed with gymnastics? Um, my personal experience with Ninja right now has varied greatly. Um, when I first started training, I had a pretty good group of people I was training with. Um, you know, Lebrex still lived up here, and it was great getting to see her a couple times a week, too. So there was a, a pretty good feeling of, of support every time I went in the gym and not that I, I don't have support when I go into the gym. Now I see similar people every week when I'm training. Um, but it's, it's different. And I think in gymnastics, you're training with the same people every week at the same caliber, you're competing together at every single meet. Um, just the amount of time you're spending with them. I think that was an incredibly important part of not just shaping me as a gymnast, but as a, a person, um, like gymnastics was my social life and, having, I think with a lot of the ninja programs coming up now, we're seeing 
similar types of, you know, team programs where they are training together and competing together and traveling together to all of these comps. So I think it is starting to mimic a lot of other types of sports teams as well. Um, but there's just, there's something about gymnastics that just calls to me. <laughs> so obviously gymnastics has a long and storied history going back centuries in the Olympics, whatnot. And Ninja is still very much in its infancy as a growing sport, so we don't have the repertoire that gymnastics has yet. So I'm curious, do you consider yourself an athlete in Ninja? I do, and I've had this conversation with a lot of a lot of ninjas um, because I started as I, I started later than a lot of you know OG ninjas right now um, coming in at, at season eight. Uh, so for me, I started Ninja, um, because obstacles looked fun. I don't remember having even seen a single episode of Ninja before I started training. I'm sure I did, but I couldn't tell you anything about it. Um, so I started from an athletic standpoint of, Hey, that obstacle looks cool. I'm going to try it. Wow. I really stink at that. Let's keep trying. (laughs) Um, so I took a very athletic approach to, my obstacle training from the beginning and I wasn't ever even planning on, um, applying for the show at all. Um, but after being convinced to do that, it's, it's an interesting balance. Um, you know, when you're competing on the show, it's less of an athletic endeavor and more of a show. (laughs) Um, but I think I, I approach all of my training as an athlete um, just as I did with gymnastics too. So, and I, and I think a lot of kids coming up right now that are training, um, you know, this is their sport. This is, they are athletes in their sport. So I think just that in and of itself is going to give a really nice solid foundation for, you know, Ninja as, as a new and upcoming or up and coming sport. I'm I'm glad you mentioned the show because this is something Chris and I have talked a lot about internally, so I'm curious as to your thoughts on this. Do you think that Ninja can survive on its own as a sport even when the show goes away? I've I've had that conversation with a couple of people too, and I think where we are right now, I I definitely think that it will not lose ground, um, you know, if and when it no longer exists on TV. Um, I think there's enough of a push and even just, you know, some recent events I've done talking to families and parents where they're mentioning that watching Ninja on TV has inspired, you know, their kids to start training or playing on playgrounds or doing different things that are good, healthy life choices, or, you know, they've brought them to a gym and now they have a community that they can feel a part of. And those are things that regardless of, you know, whether this show exists or not on TV, those are things that are, that have really deep roots and are important just as, you know, humans growing up in society. So I, I really, I have an optimistic view that, that it'll continue to grow regardless of what happens on NBC or, um, or with it as, as a show at all. So, yeah. So following up with that, I feel like the term pro ninja is is thrown around a, a great deal do you feel like there's there's room for 
actual professional ninjas, like on the same level as NBA players or NFL players? Do you think that something like that might happen while the show still exists or maybe after the show? Um, that I'm not sure. I don't know as much about <laughs> the definition of what pro would be. Um, I know in gymnastics, if you are a pro, you've, you know, taken endorsements or, um, you know, have sponsorship of some kind and that removes your ability for, I can't even remember specifically, you know, scholarships or competing on a certain level, you know. Um, so there's a lot of like actual legal things with that as well. Um, but in terms of being a pro ninja and kind of having that term have a specific meaning, I guess, because I, I agree, I think it's, you know, tossed around, um, you know, with comps like, pro ninjas are coming or pro ninjas are competing. And I honestly don't know how I would even define that right now. <laughs> so I'd be curious to see what it would look like if it does come to that. Um, but I honestly don't know right now. Would you put yourself on that pro ninja tier? Like we'll, we'll let you be bashful for a second if you'd like. <laughs> no I no I, shame. <laughs> I personally don't know. I feel like other people have put me there and I've just kind of played along. Um, I think I usually take a, a fairly down to earth approach with, with most things. Like I don't feel any different than I did four years ago before I started training, you know, other than my physical abilities on things, but in terms of how I'm viewed or how I view myself, I don't think it's, it's weird to think of myself as any different than anybody else that I train or compete with. So I don't know. <laughs> Where do you see the sport of ninja down the road, like in five years, 10 years? I am pretty excited. I know there's been talk of, you know, Olympic possibilities and getting the ball rolling on some version of ninja in, in that kind of an athletic scope. And I would love to see it merge into something like that. I mean, a, a lot would have to change between now and then, um, you know, as I'm sure that, that you guys know with, with NNL just in terms of like regulating the simplest of rules and how that looks across, you know, a lot of gyms across the country is a really difficult thing. And what those rules look like when you have different equipment, different approaches to things, homemade equipment, um, you know, more, company made equipment. I don't know. <laughs> um, I think there's such a variance in the sport and it's, it's kind of been created across the country in these little pockets and each little pocket has done its own thing with it. So I think as it grows, we're going to see a little bit more of, um, like a unification, I guess, um, or some, you know, standards. And I think we've already started seeing some of that, um, especially with NNL. I think that's been one of the things I really like about the league that there is this idea of, um, you know, you're, you're not going to go to a comp in one place that's going to be so completely drastically different from a comp in another place that it doesn't even make sense. I think having some of those connecting fibers is important. Um, and I see that increasing as, as it continues, especially with the kids and how you set up in, um, 
in gyms setting up like levels and how parents can see like how is your kid progressing how do they go from a level one to a level two like there has to be uh you know some standards i guess set in there for how you grow in this sport and i think that that's where we'll see it start to go in the next couple of years um you know five ten years down the road where it's going to naturally progress into and i think this is where it could see similar things like gymnastics you know gymnastics you have levels and you have to do certain skills to progress to the next level um so i think i wouldn't be surprised if i saw some some more um regulation in in that regard with it as a sport um but i think it's exciting wherever it ends up i think it'll be good so i'm gonna double back a little bit um earlier you mentioned the the olympics uh and throughout the conversation you're talking a lot about regulations and formatting and stuff and one of the thoughts that i've had as an administrator with the national ninja league is does ninja warrior does does ninja as a sport work in its current format like if you this into the olympics would this be something that you could bring multiple countries together and compete on or do you see it taking on more of a ninja vs ninja format for the olympics um i think if you were to try to enact it in the near future um it might have to be something more head-to-head ninja versus ninja maybe i mean team style possibly could be something that might be interesting um, like, you know, would it be an individual event? Would it be a team event? Would it be, I don't know, something like <laughs> curling where you have partners coming in? Like there's so many different ways that it could be approached, but I think to be, there would definitely have to be some changes before it would be ready to go on an international stage like that. Um, but I can see it working in a variety of different ways. And I mean, maybe it could be something where there's, you know, different events where there's the individual, there's the, you know, teams, there's a partner thing you know, I think there's a lot of pliability into how that could look, which is, I think it could be both good and bad in terms of there's not a a clear route to what that would look like, but there's also, um, not a clear route. So you have a lot of things that you could work with and um, make it look like a lot of different and really cool things. So one of the things that I think of um, when you talk about all the different possibilities is um, rock climbing, which has just made its way into the, uh, into the Olympics. Um, And it's, it's entering in three different forms. Um, and there's definitely some controversy because it's my understanding that the athletes uh, need to compete in all three, even though they're very different disciplines. Um, do you think Ninja could potentially, you know, enter as like a multi-formatted um, event? I guess that's what you would call it, an event or sport. Um, I think it could. I was actually thinking about climbing as I was thinking through what Ninja would look like. Because um, I know there was some controversy and I, I hadn't heard what they ultimately decided on as it entered into a sport for the Olympics. Um, I think, you know, there's, there's things like, I keep going back to gymnastics, but you know, that's what I know Um, where in order to compete for like the all around title in gymnastics, you have to compete on all four events for women and all six events for men. And you are not going to have a strength on all of those events. Um, unless you're, you know, Simone Biles and not fully human, apparently. Um, <laughs> but, uh, 
you know, you're always going to have a weakness somewhere and events are incredibly different. So I could see it maybe being something like that. Um, but then you have things like, you know, volleyball or tennis where you have like um, partners or individual or more of a team and you don't have the same people competing in all of those different disciplines. They kind of have their one, you know, niche that they, they compete in. Um so I really don't, I don't know. I don't know what it could look like, but I, I can see it having kind of a multi-event approach and that might be, that might be the best option. I don't know. So let's steer it back to you as a competitor. So obviously you've competed in a number of NNL events. What is your comp day like? Like how do you prepare? Is there a certain thing you do when you get to the gym? Is there some certain thing you do before you get to the gym? <laughs> um, I think this question was posted recently on uh, the NNL Instagram, and my answer was I I drive to the comp. <laughs> That's my my preparation. I I spend a couple hours in the car driving there. Um, yeah, I I'm not really um, a superstitious person in terms of preparing in any sort of um, routine way or anything. Uh, I remember in cross country, I would eat like an entire sandwich or like a bagel with cream cheese, like right before a meet. And everyone's like, what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> like, well, I'm hungry, so I'm going to eat. And this is what I'm eating. Um, so I think it's similar, similar with Ninja. Like I, you know, I don't have anything I specifically do. I'm, I feel like I'm lucky right now if I even warm up before I do stuff, which is terrible. <laughs> but, um, I know some people, I think it was Barclay was talking about, uh, you know, she has like a, I don't know, blueberry bagel with like peanut butter or something. And like, she has to eat that before every single comp. Um, which I think is, I think is really funny. (laughs) Um, but yeah, there's, I don't have any sort of routine. I mean, my last comp, I was just happy I got there on time kind of. So (laughs) I kind of fly by the seat of my pants. (laughs) Well, it seems to be working for you, so I guess you can't knock it. I, I guess, yeah. You know, sometimes better than others, but, you know, I'll take it. <laughs> so showing up last minute to a comp, you get there, you see a course. Is there any obstacles that you're, like, either really looking forward to or alternatively just, like, really dreading? Like, you really don't want to see something when you show up there last minute? Um, anything usually with swinging, laches, um, some fun, dynamic upper body stuff, I am all about. Um, anything that has the word vertical limit, cliffhanger, like, can't count me out. <laughs> I, I, I just, I hate, I hate cliffhanger. Really? Why is that? Um, I did actually get to test the stage three ultimate cliffhanger um, season, uh, nine, season nine, um, right before the team challenges and the holds on those cliffs, cliffhangers, I don't even call them the holds are fantastic. They feel great in your hands. They're gigantic. Um, it's, it's, it's good stuff. And then you go to gyms who you have people that really love cliffhanger and they're like, we're going to put in one inch, one inch cliffhanger ledges. And you touch it and your fingers just hurt. And I'm like, and that's the end of it. So (laughs) usually not super excited to get on stuff like that. Um, 
if it hurts right away, I'm, I'm not into it. Um, I think balance is always kind of a toss up or I guess it's more of agility at this point. Um, I'm never really sure with those obstacles and it really depends on who's, who's made the course and what gym you're going to as to how insane some of the stuff might be. So I like seeing, uh, different unique stuff. Um, and I, I think I, I usually take it obstacle by obstacle. So there's not too much that I would dread ahead of time without knowing the course, I guess, except for cliffhanger or vertical limit. <laughs> I think that's true of most people though. I, I, I appreciate yeah. you burying the show by the way, cause it was one, uh, one inch in Japan and then they came over here and super nerfed it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, I, I appreciate that shade. It was cushiony. It was really nice. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So yeah. spoken like a true NNL vet. So I'm going to try not to be awkward with this question, so I, I hope you don't take this the wrong way, but do you feel there's a divide between men and women in terms of how you view certain obstacles? Um, I knew this was going to be a men and women question the way you prefaced it. Um, and this is actually one of my favorite topics in terms of looking at the sport, I think, as a sport. Um and, and where it's going. Um, so you said in terms of like a, uh, like approach to obstacles. Right. Exactly. Um, I think, I don't think that there's too much of an issue right now from where I'm sitting. <laughs> um, I, and I think especially now that you're seeing a larger number of stronger and, uh, more competitive women coming up, I think that whatever gap, had existed in the past is slowly coming to a close. Um, I think that there's enough variety of obstacles that again, you're going to have different obstacles playing to different people's strengths and weaknesses and not even necessarily based on gender, but also on, you know, height, weight. Um, Usually women tend to be shorter and more lightweight so some obstacles, um, like agility obstacles could really play into our, um, you know, biological, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Advantage. Advantage. That's a great word. Thank you. <laughs> um, whereas, you know, obstacles that require maybe a little bit more power or something, um, you know, higher reaching stuff could play more to the advantage of men. Um, but I think that there's enough of a variety of both of those things that it doesn't really create an unfair playing field in that regard. Um, but I think I, I remember, uh, I think season nine, my application video for the show, I had been just the entire NNL season watching women fail on trampolines. <laughs> and I remember I put in my video that I can, sounds terrible that I can jump on a trampoline <laughs> <laughs> um, because I saw it so repetitively at every event. If there was a trampoline obstacle, I mean, you could pretty much in the first couple of seasons of NNL put money down that that is what was going to take out most women. And you, if you put money down on that, you would have earned a lot of money on that bet. <laughs> um, 
And it, it struck me as interesting that there was this very apparent weakness and not with every woman, but you know, with a lot of them. And um, it wasn't something that I was able to relate to as a gymnast. I grew up on trampolines, so it was something I considered a, a strength for me. Um, but seeing like, this is something that you just need to work on more. Like I need to work on cliffhanger more. That's my weakness. So that's what I'm going to focus on. But I think again, with a lot more women um, coming up and uh, being, I think a little bit more competitive and capable on courses. Um, I think that that, that gap has closed, which is cool to see. So right now with Ninja in its current state, do you think that the top female athletes could give the top male athletes a run for their money? Right now, if you took the top female athletes against the top male athletes, I mean, I, th I think you'd have the top male athletes still coming out on top. <laughs> um, and I think that there are probably some exceptions. And again, I'm going to go back to a gymnastics reference here. Um, most of gymnastics history has been, um, you know, men throwing these pretty awesome, crazy tumbling passes on floor and women kind of catching up to that, you know, maybe a decade or two behind. So, um, you know, men are doing double twisting things and, you know, five, 10 years later, you see women starting to do some of that. And then you have someone like Simone Biles who comes up and is doing things that we haven't seen any human <laughs> do before in competition. So I think that there's definitely an open door for women to come in and give some of the top men a run for their money. Um, but I think that there also is a biological advantage in most athletic things that's given to men. And I don't think that's anything that should be you know, seen as a bad thing. It just is, it is, <laughs> it is, but there's also, it's not set in stone that way. It all depends on, you know, how you're training and how you're approaching things. And maybe that means women have to work differently or harder at things that are easier for men and so be it. But yeah. <laughs> Do you think the national ninja league will ever see a, female as the last person standing? Hmm. I think it's a possibility. Um, I think at this moment, if you said for 2019, I don't want to sound not optimistic, but I'm not sure that that's something we might see in the next year or two years. Um, I could be completely wrong. I mean, anything can happen, honestly. Um, I think we've seen, you know, someone like Olivia Vivian come in super strong and, you know, she was the last female standing by far this past season. So I think that there's definitely some, some top contenders in there and it'll be exciting to see. I hope, I hope it becomes like that. I, I hope it does as well. I'm, I'm just waiting for the day. <laughs> so, so on, on to a slightly easier topic. Uh, you talked a, a good amount before about rules and regulations and standardizing. Um, how do you feel about um, the new NNL obstacle rule um, that, you know, makes an attempt at, you know, starting to set some of these standards and guidelines? I, I think it's great. <laughs> um, I think having some consistency between competitions. So somebody that's competing out in, California versus Minnesota versus Florida or, you know, Massachusetts, um, 
would be seeing similar courses or at least similar approaches to how you might need to um, run a course. I don't know all the rules. Um, it all kind of mixes together after enough comps. <laughs> um, but I think in terms of it all culminates into like the world finals. So there has to be some sort of continuity leading up to that. Otherwise you're going to have such a huge variance of people at the world finals of those that have been on courses with similar rules. Those that have been on courses without similar rules. So I think making sure that everybody is as prepared as possible for what that finals would look like um, is important and does start with, you know, what those base rules are, how obstacles are, you know, judged or set up at competitions, um, that sort of thing. So I, I like it. Awesome. So speaking of the world championship, um, right now we, we know you're like mid teaching season, teaching season, they don't call it that. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You're teaching now, right? You're working a pretty heavy schedule. Oh yeah. (laughs) So how how are you balancing training for the championship and, you know, doing your day job? That's one of the most common questions that I get on social media from people. Um, <laughs> I think I've done it better in the past, but I schedule everything for myself as if it's a non-negotiable time set aside. So I have to be at work these certain hours during the day. And I have to be at the gym these certain hours each day. Um, I have to set aside time to do this each day. So I schedule it like I would, you know, a doctor's appointment or um, the dentist. And, you know, if, if you schedule it in that way and you treat it like something that's non-negotiable, you're, you're going to do that, going to do that and you're going to be there. Um, I've let myself slide on some of those recently. So I'm currently still trying to get back into that schedule <laughs> unsuccessfully at the moment but working on it <laughs> well um, oh so it, i mean it's it's tricky i you know there's set contracted times that i need to be in the classroom but i am there before and far after those times have come and gone um and in a classroom things are constantly changing so it's not that i can just leave work at 5 and be like great i'll come in tomorrow and finish that stuff like, well, no, if it's not done, I have a classroom of 23 kids staring at me like, Ms. Beard, now what? <laughs> if I don't have it prepared, like, I don't know, now what? <laughs> so there are things that come up where, um, you know, I worked 7.30 to 7.30 yesterday in my classroom. Um, and I did not go to the gym like I told myself I was going to last night. So it definitely is tough. And I'm pretty hard on myself in terms of my, my scheduling. So I didn't feel good about that. Um, but I tried to get a little bit done just in my living room when I got home anyway. So there's some give and take. (laughs) When you do get to the gym, is there a certain thing you do? Is there a routine or is it just, Hey, this looks fine. Let me try that. (laughs) Oh, um, so Monday nights, I just go in for open gym and <laughs> I'm always made fun of because for the last couple of years, I come in with like my dinner and I'll sit and for the first 20 minutes, I'll just eat my dinner and then, <laughs> and then I'll talk to some people for a little bit and then like I'll do an obstacle or two and I'll talk some more and <laughs> and then I leave. <laughs> it's, it's terrible. Um, so they'll make fun of me for that. Uh, but ideally... I 
like running. Um, I mean, warming up is, is a big thing right now. I definitely need to focus a little bit more on, um, I guess, self-care. I can feel my years of gymnastics catching up to me in the last couple years of Ninja, you know, going pretty hard and not taking the time to work on recovery and strengthening and stretching in that regard. Um, I can feel it taking a little bit of a toll. So I need to make sure that I am warming up. Um, so that, <laughs> um, I really like running different types of courses when I'm at the gym. So speed courses, technical courses, um, any sort of like little challenges on obstacles are always fun. So it really, it changes week to week. Some weeks I go in and I'm like, I just want to work salmon ladder tonight. Um, other weeks it's, you know, a mix of agility and then some upper body stuff. Um, and then when I go to the gym Tuesdays, it's for a specific more, um, like core workout time that I have set aside. So it's, it's a pretty good mix throughout the week. <laughs> Let's talk about dieting a little bit. Do you have a certain diet that you like to adhere to, or do you just like try to keep nutritious, watch what you eat? Um, <laughs> I feel kind of like a, like a bear sometimes, um, where during like the season, um, and I would say the season being not summer, I usually I'm watching what I eat. Um, I just try to stay away from things with added sugar. Um, and if I can read all the ingredients and it's organic, excellent. That's what I go for. Um, but other than that, I mean, I, I don't eat a ton of meat, but I'm not a vegetarian. I'm not vegan. Um, I really enjoy seafood and fish. Uh, I really like most vegetables. Um, I love fruit. There's, I mean, I, there's not much that I don't enjoy eating. I love ice cream. Um, I'll make like banana ice cream or I guess it's called nice cream, just frozen bananas and like some chocolate chips and coconut and nut butters. Um, so that'll be like my go-to snack. Um, but in general, I kind of, if, you know, if I'm craving something, I'll, I'll eat it. <laughs> um, and then during the summer, it's like all bets are off. You know, if I want ice cream three times today, that's probably what I'm going to do. And it's, yeah, I go so hard during, during the school year with training and with work that come summertime, you know, I stop working out for a while and I eat terribly and I don't care about it. And then it really stinks getting back into a good routine, but it's totally worth it. <laughs> I feel like a lot of people ask me, particularly if I um, cut weight for the show, do you feel like uh, your diet changes kind of help you to lean out as you're getting into that competition mode? Not intentionally, I don't think. Um, I think the last couple of years, just by that point in the year, <laughs> I'm so scrambled for time that it might come down to like accidentally missing a meal here or there. So I don't think I unintentionally, you know, lean out in any way. Um, but I also start to really focus on my workouts a little bit more strictly. So I think an increase in working out kind of results in that anyway. Um, I don't think I ever overeat, so I'm not, you know, looking to burn any extra calories. <laughs> Um, but I think I keep a pretty good balance throughout the year and just kind of kick up, kick up the workouts towards competition season. So. Makes a lot of sense. 
So we're actually coming close to uh, to the time for the podcast. So we want to kind of wrap up with you. Um, is there anything else that you want people to know about that you have going on right now? Um, just trying to get to a lot of NNL comps this year. So um, I've had a lot of people reach out asking if I'm going to be in in the area or if they can meet me or if their kids can meet me, um, which is still weird, but because I'm just me, but <laughs> like, okay, uh, not that cool. Sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to make it to pretty much all of the, uh, the New England NNLs. Um, you know, I'll be doing a couple events here and there in the meantime. So I'll usually make some posts on my social media. Um, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram are all my first and last name, just Alyssa Beard. So very searchable. Um, my website, AlyssaBeard.com. Um, I've had some actually a lot of incredibly generous people recently donate supplies and things to my classroom um, through my website. So that's been just incredibly heartwarming and amazing. So shout out to, to everybody for your support, but um, I'm around, I'm very contactable. So keep an eye out. <laughs> All right. Well, Alyssa, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, best of luck with the school year and the rest of the NL season. Thank you so much. This is fun guys. Our thanks to Alyssa Beard for coming on the podcast. We had such a blast talking to her, and we've had such a blast doing this podcast, getting to really pick the brains of some of your favorite ninjas. Let us know who you want to see in future episodes of the podcast. We'd love to keep doing these and help fill that void. You know, sometimes there's seven events in a weekend, sometimes there's only one, and we love to give you as much ninja content as we can. That's why we've been posting a lot of the full run videos on YouTube. You can check out some of our full runs there. I know we have a couple from Alyssa if you want to check her out a little bit more. Uh, we're also on Facebook and Instagram at National Ninja League. And on Facebook especially, you can watch the 2019 NNL World Championships. They're coming up February 16th, 17th, and 18th. Alyssa will be there. All of your favorite ninjas, most of your favorite ninjas will be there. I know you're going to have a blast watching every single run on Facebook for free. And you can also hit us up on our website at nationalninja.com. We will be posting the Rec Ninja League events there. That will be starting in March. It is going to be closer than you think. If this interview inspired you to start doing Ninja, the Rec Ninja League is the perfect place to start. So until then, I'm Alex Cunningham, and we will see you next time on the National Ninja League Podcast.